online at 405-329-9000. Live from the Buffalo Wild Wings studios, it's The Rush with Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. Here's a 1-0 pitch from Straka. Popped up on the infield. Lions is under it. Makes the catch. The Sooners sweep Bedlam. And Oklahoma wraps up the 23 conference season unblemished, undefeated, and champions. We'll see you next week in Oklahoma City as the one seed. Victory! I just don't think that Oklahoma is going to be the team that hits 80 bajillion home runs. They may hit 50 bajillion, but I don't think they're going to be the big, bad Oklahoma Sooners that they've been. And they stay there. And they stay there. And they stay there. There you go. Fresh off a sweep over, uh, what, number six, number seven, Oklahoma State. Softball team up there in Stillwater. Seven yesterday, not seven today after losing. Yeah. Ten their last 12. But I still contend. I thought for uh, for the most part, OSU played pretty well this weekend. Yep. And you thought that they were going to, right? But they played well. OU just, OU's just the best team in college softball. And the thing is, man, is that OU swept. OU got a road sweep against a top eight team, which is impressive. But... I wouldn't say that OU absolutely played their best softball. They left a ton of runners on base this weekend. A ton. There were so many. It felt like there were so many times this weekend where they had bases loaded, one out, and they'd hit it to the third baseman. Third baseman would cut the run at home. The next batter would roll over a ground ball. They left so many runners on base. That's the only complaint that you could have, I think, from this weekend, but it's hard to complain when they just went 18 and out. Yep. No, super, super impressive. Um, we'll see where they end up, man. I, I got a pretty good idea. I don't know about you. Well, I, it, it would take something uh, really dramatic for them to uh, not be able to go in and, and finish this thing off. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they win all the way through. But. You know, I, but. They're the massive favorite to to win the championship, and, clearly. And, and I'm not breaking any news there. Here's what really favors them because of what they have in the circle is they got to lose twice. I guess Big 12 tournament, not the case, but regional, super regional, and Women's College World Series, you're going to have to figure out a way to beat this team twice with the depth that they have in the circle. That's going to be really difficult for someone to do. They can yeah. get beat once. I mean, they got beat once. Last year in the Women's College World Series, then turned around and got on a heater. Uh, two years ago, they lost. Be, yep. They lost twice. The they lost twice. Once to Florida State um, as well, outside James Madison. So it's just didn't they lose the opening game? They did to James yeah. Madison, and then yeah. they lost the first game of the championship series to Florida State. They were literally in elimination mode outside of that first game for every game. But um, nah, it's it's just going to be tough for someone to beat them twice. I don't I don't see that happening. Yeah. Well. It's going to be fun. Big 12 tourney's coming up. That'll be awesome up there in OKC, Hall of Fame Stadium. So uh, that's going to be going to be good. Six wins away from tying 
the NCAA record for consecutive wins. So let's see. They'll they'll play Friday against the winner of Baylor and Iowa State. You win that one, that's 42. You win the Big 12 championship game, that's 43. And then what, you would win three games in regionals, right? That puts you at 46. You host a super regional. If you go 2-0 and in that, that's 48. And Kaysen pointed this out earlier on the text line, so I'll give him credit. You could break the record in the final game ever at Marita Hines Field. How cool would that be? Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Wow. That would be awesome. That'd be a perfect way to uh, to say goodbye. Wow. That'd be cool. I'd, oh, it'd be amazing. Are you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be. You know, your last game there was going to be memorable as is. But if you end up breaking the record on your last game ever, that's going to be. It's. It would be a sentimental moment, I guess. But golly, more of a happy one if you if you break that. Right. And so this is all going to get ramped up here pretty quickly over the next what? Because June first is whenever the World Series starts. Uh, is that yeah, right, right around there? If that's not the exact date, so yeah. So um, you'll you'll go um, you'll go conference tournament, regional, super regional, really quickly. Yeah. Like all that's going to happen fast. Yeah, um, OU is going to be the number one overall seed. That has not been in doubt for uh, several weeks, but. After what happened this weekend, like even if they were to drop a game to Iowa State or Baylor, I still think they would be the number one overall seed. That's that's pretty much locked up. But it'd be cool if they could have the all-time winning streak for college softball, and then you could claim the football winning streak and the softball winning streak. And I, it, it's it would be really really tough to break either one of those, especially the football one. Now, help me with the timeline. They lost to Baylor, and then they were bumped from their number one spot. Was it for UCLA, a team that they had already beaten? No, they were bumped from the number one spot the Monday after the Baylor loss, right? Right. And I think they lost to Baylor on a Sunday, maybe. So on Monday, they're number two. They go out to California and play UCLA that next Sunday. So OU was number two for exactly one week. They beat UCLA 14 nothing in five innings and then regained that number one spot. Right. And UCLA was number one, right? Is for that one, who yeah, they yeah, up? yeah, yeah. For okay. one week. Right. That's so funny that I, just waiting to bump up Oklahoma from the number one spot, right? Just waiting. And I think UCLA had already lost a game at that point. Maybe they haven't. But regardless, yeah, they were just been waiting on it. They moved him back and then – they run roll them fourteen nothing in five innings in California. It's pretty amazing. And and since that Baylor loss, man, they've just been on a they've been on a tear, complete tear. Yeah, forty straight, forty some straight. So forty. No, nah, that's straight. awesome. Uh, quickly on the text line for the nine one eight. Game two was the best of the three this weekend. I love the run roll games, but there's something special about letting them think they have it and ripping it away last second. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's what happened. I feel like Oklahoma State really believed that they were going to get out of the top of the seventh and they were going to tie the series. Did yeah, not happen. That's what I was saying is I, I think not only is it I, an exciting way to win, but I think it I think that's incredibly difficult to bounce back from. Like if you're in that situation, you're playing a three game series against the best team in the country. 
You drop game one, but in game two, you've absolutely got them on the ropes. All you need is three outs, and you win the thing. And you can't do it. You can't pull it off. They get the win, come from behind in the in the final inning. It's hard to mentally recover from that for the next game. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if that was the case or not, but OU left a ton of runners on in yesterday's game, but still found a way to win. Alex Duraco pitched at an All-American level once again. Uh, this text says, was Jada's drop ball double play on purpose? I think she said after the game that it wasn't, but I kind of feel like it was. Okay. Explain that scenario to me because I didn't see it, but I saw a reference to it last night. So I think the situation was first and second. Yeah, I think it was okay. first and second with one out. So you know that with like runners at first and second, less than two outs, the infield fly rule is, is in effect. Um, right. See that in baseball quite a bit, really all the time, I guess. There was a ball hit right at Jada. I mean, just right at her. She was coming in to make the play. I mean, she's an outfielder, so the infield fly rule isn't in effect there. I mean, she basically, like, she basically, like, caught it and then dropped it, and then I think she went to second for the force out, and then I think they threw to third and then tagged the runner from second to third out, and it was a double play and it ended the inning. It was a great play. It was a great play. I think she said after the game that she didn't do it on purpose, but I – kind of feel like she did and if i'm right it's an an incredible heads up play to get out of the inning now i thought the infield fly rule had less to do about who caught it but to its relationship to being able to complete the out right is that not right like so the infielders can't just do exactly what jada did right it's just drop it on purpose but even an outfielder shouldn't be able to do that in that position, like if they come up for a super high fly that's just outside of the infield. It's got to be shallow for that to be the case. Okay. Um, and she was running in, but it wasn't like she was right behind the infield dirt or anything. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know how that rule It's just different be, in softball because the, field, the field is, is so much yeah. smaller than it is. That play, that play would, hard, it would be very hard to do in baseball, a lot harder to do. Right. That's what I'm wondering, like, is – is that rule not in – do they not have that rule in softball? Well, I just – I mean, she was – I say that she was coming in on the play, but she's playing normal depth for a center fielder on that play. She's just coming in a few steps, and it, it was hit okay. so hard. I mean, it, it was just the perfect situation for that to happen, really. Right, So it was, yeah. a, it was a great heads-up play. Gotcha. All right. Tyler did saying infield fly rule hurt as a Braves fan. Going to go ahead and block that person. <laughs> Way too soon. Last game ever for Chipper Jones. Hate that individual texture. No, that's funny. Um, so we read off the overreactions that CBS has for each Big 12 team this year. Yeah. And I gave an overreaction that OU safeties will be considered a top three position group in the Big 12. Okay. If there is a position group for OU this year that is considered one of the best in the conference, will it be safety or will it be somewhere else? And I'm saying, like, um, I'm not factoring in injuries here or anything. It's just what sure. I project or what you project the position to be. I think safety is a good one. I think um, offensive line has an opportunity. And I think 
I think it's a I think it's a reach right now to say edge or defensive end, but that that group is deep with some nice talent at the top. They could they could make a little bit of a of a push if if things come together and they play really well. But safety, yes. Offensive line, yes. Feels like safety is going into the year with some super high expectations. And that's, you know, not totally unique on this team, but wide receiver is almost like hopeful that someone emerges, right? Offensive line is hopeful that they piece it together. Linebacker is confident, but we got to stay healthy there. Let me throw you a curveball on backer. Right now, I would say it would be hard to suggest that that Oklahoma might just kind of where we are right now, inexperienced, that we have the best linebacking core in the Big 12. But if if the Connor Near kid is able to come in and outright win that Mike Backer spot, I could change my opinion because you're gonna you would get experience there. He's he's played a lot of football, hasn't been Division One. I, I understand that, but if he's that good to where he comes in and takes that spot from Canick and Kobe McKenzie, and I think he's going to be right there in the fight with an opportunity to do so. Like to me, that would be impressive, and that says a lot about his ability, which I already really like the way that he plays. Like that, you may have something there. Well, I wonder if that and it doesn't really matter what the popular take is, um, because I, I I would agree. I think that would be a positive. I wonder if it would be looked at as, as a positive by everyone. If we're talking about a Ferris State transfer winning the job over McKenzie or Canick, because you know how that would be looked at by some people. And again, that doesn't really matter as, oh, well, you are, that's what you're at at that position that a Ferris State kid came in and won that spot. I'm not saying that that's how I think. I just will tell tell you that that's how some will think about that situation. Well, fortunately, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you talk to, um, we have the receipts on everyone and what they've said about Canick and how he should have been playing and uh, Kobe McKenzie. And, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. All right. I, I think Canick's going to be great. I think Kobe McKenzie's going to be great. That's why I'm saying if the Ferris state kid comes in and wins that position, that tells me a lot about what our capabilities all of a sudden might become at inside backer. So you would agree with safety, but wait and see a little bit with linebacker. That is one position group that could that could replace safety in that conversation. Uh, I'm, I think we we may be we'd be in a much better position to have a claim for it. Like right now, I'd be shocked if we had a claim for it because we're going to be. You know, playing someone with no experience at sure. one of the inside. Well, you're at least spots. hopeful for that position group. Like, there's some confidence it'll be, you know, yeah. it, it'll be good. And that's what I was going to say is, you're hopeful at some other positions, but safety, man, I, I think that that's the spot where most people are really confident going into this year. And yeah. there's some real, I think, some real expectations by the fan base that 
that safety group's going to be really good. And if they're not, it's going to be pretty disappointing. Well, I think you, you've got you got four really good players, really good, um, um, you know, just different pieces that you can play there. Bowman, Bowen, Key Lawrence, uh, Robert Spears Jennings, if he comes back, Pearson. I mean, there's there's a there's a bunch of guys that are, you know, RSJ was playing really good before you know he had the injury, so. Yeah, and we're not done. I think, um, aren't we? No, um, Lewis Carter's going to play backer. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, deep snapper will be dominant, says Zane. Also watch out for that one. Good point there by I Zane. I hope. You never know. We'll, we've got the receipts on that as well, Zane. You never know, and an errant snap by the deep snapper could cost you something. 832, Teddy, if we, you, are saying our linebackers are not the best in the Big 12, how are you saying our edge guys have the potential to be the best at their position? I'm asking because we couldn't sack a Big 12 quarterback last year, even if the opposing offensive line just fell down on purpose. Well, how about this? Neither one of the guys that started last year I think are going to start this year. All right? I think you're going to have um, Bothroyd is going to start. I think Trace Ford, if he's healthy and ready to go, is going to be on the other spot. R. Mason Thomas, P.J. Adebare. Uh, and then you throw in the guys that we had a year ago, Downs and uh, Grimes. I mean, there's a lot of potential there. So Trace Ford healthy can get to the quarterback. Bothroyd can get to the quarterback. He's not going to overwhelm you with athleticism, but he's nifty and – he can create pressure. The wild card comes from R. Mason Thomas, and what type of strides does Adabare make? I mean, he's got the, the freak athleticism and the length that you want at that position. By middle of next year, can, can he put together a, a good enough uh, toolbox of, of, of stuff to be able to be consistent and get, get home? And, you know, a lot of it, the other part is, just our coverage aspects how are the backers underneath or is our secondary going to be as good as we think and if that's the case they're going to have that extra count or two to try and get to the quarterback so yeah i mean that's the exact reason is because the guys that played last year i don't think are going to play nearly as much uh by the way i did catch that you did say uh like everyone trace ford and then followed it up with, with a uh, win healthy so, it's a big factor. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing with, like, Marcus Major, win healthy. Nick Anderson, win healthy. Uh, uh, Andrew Rame, win healthy. They should wear that on the back of their uniform this year, all of them, win healthy. Yeah. Because win healthy, yeah, there's some, there's some good things from each and every one of those. One more before we hit a break. Boomer G says, best position group, maybe offensive line. With the transfer yeah. from Appalachian State, JMO. He gives some good depth at the center position. And because we had none, that was one of the big hang-ups, right, is uh, we saw with frame is out what the spring game looked like and what that did to the rest of our offensive line depth. It made it incredibly difficult on us. Um, he will, at a minimum, push Rame at that spot I don't think it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could 
he could earn that spot. I agree I, with that. I think it is it, it's it's a low percentage, but I think he could. Um, but you know that adds depth there. I think we have a chance to be pretty good at. We know what we get out of Metallier. He's already playing better than he did a year ago. He's more physical. He's playing, you know, faster off the football. Uh, the left guard situation is interesting for me. Uh, Savion Bird, um, Schaefer, the transfer, and maybe Caden Green. You know, Caden Green played left tackle in the spring because Walter Rouse was out. Um, when we get Walter Rouse back. Does maybe Bill Beanbow slide Caden Green down to that left guard spot? And I, I think with our two tackles, Walter Rouse and Tyler Guyton, we may end up having the two best tackles uh, on a team in the Big 12. So uh, there's there's a lot of potential for the offensive line. Some things have to happen, but there's a lot of I don't of know potential. if it's a good or a bad thing um, if this is the case, but Troy Everett is going to be one of the more – you know, least talked about transfer portal players that you added, or at least I'm guessing, but he could be one of the most important this year. Again, I don't know if that would be a good or a bad thing, like if he were to win out over Raheem at center, but well, that could happen. Both both him and the Connor Near kid. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Because we've talked about it. If Stutzman were to go down for some unknown reason, we don't have another guy that's played – a snap of football at inside backer that wasn't in a blowout. So those two guys were – those were big-time additions. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on here from Newcastle. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. Hundreds of Oklahoma teenagers have no family, few options, and often nowhere to turn. But older kids need foster and adoptive families too. The Oklahoma Department of Human Services has hundreds of teenagers waiting, hoping that you'll decide to... The Riverwind Casino and Hotel bringing you the final hour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman, don't forget Bob Stoops will join us tomorrow at 320, as he does every single Tuesday. I got a random question for Bob tomorrow on the subject of Andre Wolfolk, because we put out a uh, post on Saturday, Andre Wolfolk more Saturdays until kickoff of Norman. There were 17 of them last Saturday. And um, after thinking about it, everyone has their most underrated Sooner. I think Andre Wolfolk might be my most underrated Sooner. He was eight receiving yards away from leading the team in 2,000 in reception yards. He was the number two receiver yards-wise on the 2,000 team. And then he switches to defense, what, halfway through his career, Teddy? Yeah. And he ends up being a first-round corner. Like, normally when someone – Switches to the other side of the ball is because they weren't getting enough playing time at the spot that they were at. That obviously wasn't the case with him. That's insane, man. You just moved a corner halfway through your career and end up being a first-round pick. I, I'd like to ask Bob tomorrow what went into that decision because I think it's fascinating. Like, Think about winning a national championship and then soon after saying, all right, let's move our number two receiver who was eight yards away from leading the team. Let's move him over to defense. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, it's – I don't know. I underrated. I think it's maybe just maybe not talked about yeah. or I, I don't know, but he definitely wasn't underrated at the time, at least for teammates and coaches and 
That dude was maybe he was the incredible. Best, maybe the best in all the Stoops era uh, for his ability to block field goals. What yeah. was he about six foot? Was he six three? Wolf I Walt? think I, I'm not sure what he's listed at, but could I, jump like crazy and oh yeah, forty plus inch vertical guy. Man, could block uh, really long arms, blocked field goals, played on all the the special teams units. Was uh, a great corner. Why he was, you know, we played a ton of cover two. It's it's what we lived in, and so we had both corners would be rolled up flat players and. You know, whenever you play cover two, a lot of times your corners are, are. You know, you're a part of the run fit, and you're you we you are needed on the edge to set the edge on on some stuff in the run game. And man, those two guys, Wolfolk and Derek Strait, buddy, they were active in the run game. You know, I, there's a lot of things that, you know, whenever I play Will Backer and. There's a play to my side. Like, we would do a lot of, uh, of pirate where you're eliminating inside gaps and making things spill to the outside where the corners are the support. The safety can run the alley, and you can, you know, basically eliminate all cutbacks, and your backers can flow over the top. Well, people know you're going to do that, so they pull guys around, and you have to, as backer, you have to keep spilling as they're as they're coming around. So, like, the mic would go and spill, and I'd fit over the top of him, and then I would spill and you can, I, I just vividly remember, like, knowing that they're going to be there. Because you're kind of blind. You're going in there and just hammering, you know, uh, the inside of a blocker, hitting a gap. So you can't really see outside of you. But just knowing those guys were going to show up and the trust, and you could always hear them. You could hear the collision. You could hear those guys coming in to make the play or to fit on the next blocker. Those, they were awesome. That duo... Of corner, Derek Strait and Andre Wolfel, incredible. Um, talk about the best a lot. Has there been a better corner duo than those two? Wolfel can. Not since I've. D Strait. One was a first round pick. The other, uh, Derek Strait won a Thorpe, third. right? Yeah, he won yeah. Thorpe Award and was a third rounder. And I, I don't. You, I, I won't say there is. I don't know anyone, any. Other two that Forget are about the best duo, that maybe the one two right there, the two best corners that we've seen, yeah, in like maybe ever, and just great all around teammates, team players. Never complained about anything. Never complained about being on special teams. Would do anything you asked of them. Uh yeah, I, I, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to think if anyone blocked more kicks than Wolfolk did. Remember him blocking one in an OU Texas game? I think maybe an O2 is when it was. That dude, God, yeah. he could fly. Yep. Great player. Great player. Text line, good tackling corners have more positive influence to a defense than their coverability. Not a, necess- not a necessity, but extreme equalizer whenever you have them. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Call me old school, but. I think uh, all eleven guys on defense should be great tacklers. Now Old it's school. not always it's not always looked at that way. Um, you know, every now and then you'll find guys in the NFL that, and maybe not just the NFL, but that was my experience. That I remember just being 
flabbergasted at what I was witnessing on film from uh, corners from time to time. Like, straight up turning stuff down. Like, I'm not here to tackle. I'm here to cover. I'll kind of get in the way. Look it out for me. Yeah. You can't play good team defense that way. D and Choctaw, Trey Franks, and Brian Jackson don't get talked about enough. Best we've had since those two. Gunny says, Brandon Everidge was one of my favorite guys to watch all time. Yeah, uh, speaking of Gunny, 420 days until OU officially enters into the SEC. Mm. We were waiting for that. You know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and it's always 420 days until something. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Camo Suter, Wolfolk had one of the best interceptions I've ever seen in the Texas game, covering the Texas Roy Williams. Is that when he went over his shoulder? He went over his shoulder on a Just deep plucked ball. It. Yeah, God, that was, that was sweet. Yep. Absolute stud. Sam and Edmund, Prime himself was a powder puff. Prime was turning down some plays? Interesting. Okay. Oh, that doesn't shock me at all. Uh, he's the ultimate. I'm here to just cover, intercept. I'm going to eliminate your best receiver, and that is about it, which is fine. There's a place for that. Teddy saying call me old school is so ironic because that's the only way that I think about him. Same. <laughs> Same. Dan Cody got talked about plenty then, but not much these days. Oh, you're talking about uh, most underrated player? Yeah, that's pretty good place to go to. Yep. I don't know. I um, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like we talk about him quite a bit. Yeah. Um, what's often brought up, though, is him passing out at A&M in 2004. It's one of the first things you mentioned, but the uh, – what, what was was he a second round pick to Baltimore, or did he get in the first? Yeah, second, second round. round. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Middle of the second, tore his ACL on the first day of training camp. Ew, that's awful. Uh, went on IR, and came back the next year and tore his other ACL. Jeez, man. In uh, training camp. It is crazy though that era. Um, you know when OU was just rolling there from 2000 to 2004. Just how many hits happened on that first two recruiting classes, whether it was Derek Strait or Dan Cody. I mean that that those two recruiting classes, and I, that's the hope with this this staff, right? Is the last two recruiting classes that you have kind of set up things here moving forward? But that's exactly like what you're looking for, man, because those yeah. first two set up everything for OU in the early. I feel 2000. like it's shaping up that way. I feel like it's shaping up that way. Um, there's some there's some good young players, man. And, you know, there's some good young players that are developing, that are getting better and better, that maybe don't get talked about a whole lot because they're they're not on the on the one deep, you know, they're not they're not guys that are that are playing in games, but there's a lot of potential, a lot of development going on behind the scenes and and, and those guys are going to start making their ways into the one and two deep to where we see them way more often. All right, uh, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. A couple of segments left. Stay tuned. From Norman to Lawton to Weatherford to Oklahoma City to Tulsa and beyond, the Ref Radio Sports Network has the Sooner State covered. And window coverings, custom bedding, and cushions, too. They'll pick up and deliver your furniture. Call Wonderhouse today, 405-701-4048, or visit them at 1284 Interstate Drive in Robinson Crossing. Be sure to follow Wonderhouse on Instagram and Facebook. 
It's tough. I've, I've never had a season like that probably in my, my whole lifetime, and at least playing sports. And uh, it's hard because you, you build up hope throughout the season, you know, and you, you win a game and you're building, mm-hmm. you know, building off that, and then you lose a close one. Yeah. And it's like, it's a tough feeling, but the guys stuck together. That's That was probably the also most difficult part is you got someone you believe in. You, know, you got great coaches in the facility. You got great people that want to see us succeed. And it's like, when you have that, it's difficult. Because it's like, yeah. if it was the other way around, nobody would care. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're all fending for yourself, but everyone's sticking together and kind of like, you know, riding this thing out together, which was, you know, tough to see. There's Dylan Gabriel on a recent podcast talking about the morale last season. Before we move to the text line, anything uh, that really caught your ear on that from Dylan Gabriel? Um, no, not really. That it was hard going through a tough season last year, toughest season that he's had. Yeah, kind of. It had. Kind of it had to be. You know, all of the, all of the situations. Just the whole thing surrounding it, you know, he's transferring um, a time of transition and really, I don't know, not necessarily turmoil, but uh, it was just weird, you know. It, it was really weird with, with what all uh, was happening at the the football program. Uh, a lot of it good, you know, in, in getting Coach Venables in and stuff, but it was still a weird time, and everyone obviously was was super hopeful at the moment that that we could prove as a program that it's it's bigger than one guy. Like we are, we're going to continue to roll. So there was all these these hopes built into it going in and. For it not to unfold that way, for for players, for coaches, for fans, for for everyone involved was, um, I think it I think it was more, and you know you also have to factor in like how long it had been since something like that had happened. I mean I think it made it all more difficult to deal with, and the pressure continued to mount and. I, you drop a couple of games. The coaches get. I it, it just the, the the pressure gets ramped up on everyone. You know, it's and it becomes very uncomfortable. Oh, and I'm sure that that feeling probably still exists right now. Not just when the yeah. season ended. I'm sure it's sure. a very uncomfortable feeling for everyone up there. I mean, that's probably oh, yeah. how it needs to be. All right, uh, Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Hey guys, I've been hearing some rumors about Mizzou possibly wanting out of the SEC. Is this something you all have heard? No, I haven't. However, I would love Mizzou out of the SEC. That's where you probably heard it. Uh, I have not heard that. Would you like my quick take or hunch? Uh, It's 100% false. I know. It is 100% false. They're not – no one is leaving the money that the SEC yeah. has right now, and that's the biggest reason why. I just, I just wish – I don't care Missouri if they never win a game again in football, basketball, baseball, whatever. They do not want to leave the SEC and, and become a have-not. I, I would be just absolutely shocked – if you turn down the money 
in order to go somewhere, Big 12, whatever, make half as much? And I, I don't know. I would yeah. be, I would be yeah. shocked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it doesn't. It's, it's the reason why we used to bring up. You know, would Arkansas ever think about joining the Big Twelve? They'd be more competitive in the Big Twelve. You know, they have more natural rivalries. Arkansas was never going to lead the Big Twelve. They're always going to be in the SEC because of the payday. And I saw something floating around today. It was this is way back in 2016, 2017 year, but it was from LSU. Their football program profited 56 million that year. And it shows every single team that they had on campus and how much they made or how much they lost. Yeah. Their football team brought in $56 million. Their men's basketball team actually brought in $1.6 million. And then baseball, 569000 But gymnastics was a negative, uh, $2.2 million. Softball, women's basketball, women's track and field, men's track and field, men's golf, women's golf, volleyball, women's soccer, men's tennis, beach volleyball. It was put out there just to illustrate how much football really does pay for everything else. Yeah. Now, I guess like if if Missouri is considering leaving the SEC, I maybe the maybe that would be like Missouri saying, "Hey, we'll, we will like maybe taking a payment payout from the SEC to almost like getting bought out, you know?" Oh, so the, Missouri is now Jimbo Fisher. Is that is that what we're saying? Well, uh, that's the only way I would see them leaving is if the SEC said, "Hey, listen, we want whoever instead." Like I don't know who that would be, but if in order to make the numbers right, we want this team instead. Um, and you know, yeah, we'll we'll pay you X amount to leave and supplement, like however we'll supplement what you are going to get at your new conference, your new spot with, and and fill that that void for X amount of years. Like maybe something like that would happen, but I would still you, be shocked. You'd have by to it. bring in like a Notre Dame for, for like anyone to even think about that, you know? Right. And, and we talk about Missouri not leaving the money on the table for football, but, I mean, we're talking about it with the SEC and Norman, how much it means for the town, how much it means for enrollment. Like, you just would be – it'd be a terrible financial decision if any school decided to leave the SEC on their own. Makes no sense. Uh, maybe it's to get – so Florida State can uh, can get in. I'll do that. Let's, let's get Florida State in outside Missouri. That means yeah. OU plays Florida State every single year and the three permanent opponents. I'm, I'm down for that. A little bit further of a trip, but a lot more fun. Yeah, I don't know. The, I, I guess it would seem like it would seem highly unlikely to me for that to be the case, just because of the the amount of money they make off of it. But I don't know. I guess crazier things have happened. I don't know why we have to get my hopes up about this, about not having to play those dorks in the <laughs> SEC. Uh, good stuff. All right, let's hit a final timeout here from Newcastle Casino, I-44, exit 107. Final opportunity on the Knippelmeyer text line, 651-3439. We will be back. Sound off any time of day on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line at 405-651-3439. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet in Blanchard, USA. Hi, I'm Trevor Turner with RK Black. RK Black is the leader.